It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at CBOC.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at CBOC.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. If you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Please subscribe to the podcast because it helps us out and it helps the field of IO. Also, today, we have Tom Bradshaw with us, a voice and speech coach and a damn good actor too. He is the official voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello everyone and welcome to our weekly gatherings of IOs, HR recruiters, and one actor as we try to make the world of work just a little bit better. And with that in mind, Destiny, you're going to be leading us today and we're going to talk about workplace mental models, which is um, piquing my interest. What's that all about? I'm sure many of you know this without really knowing maybe what it means. How many roles do you talk about on a day-to-day? You know, like the 80-20 role, for example, you can get 80% of the job done by focusing on 20% of the tasks that matter most, or in business context, 80% of your sales will come from 20% of your customers. Uh, So those things that we kind of lean on at times to make decisions, quick decisions, impactful decisions, maybe not impactful decisions, but those rules that we kind of go back to. Uh, The research suggests that one way of getting into the minds of individuals of and, and organizations is by enhancing the link between the individual and organizational learning And that's through the understanding of mental models. Mental models are important for understanding of the construction of knowledge and actions of an individual. More specifically, mental models capture an individual's comprehension of a specific domain in their mind. And therefore, a mental model becomes an important construct for organizations and management to understand to enhance their learning. There's even a... um, Five Steps of a Learning Organization that's been put out by uh, MIT that talks about mental models and having a shared mental model as an organization. So I'm excited to hear what other people are going to bring up today and excited where this conversation is going to go. So it sounds like if I'm leading a team, for example, or if I'm in any element of leadership, this is kind of good stuff to know. 
Absolutely. Understanding your people's beliefs and assumptions and their the way that their mind works, the way that they come to a quick conclusion about something is really important. And how to remain flexible in your understanding of that is also important from a leadership perspective. Well, let me go to you, Dr. Martha, because I'm sitting here going, okay, here is a really good fix for leadership that, you know, especially in a time where we're still sort of in the great resignation where people are still leaving their jobs for something better. And Paul, you know, possibly because they don't feel satisfied in their work. Are these, is this type of strategy going to be effective? I think so. I, I think it goes back to what Dr. Destiny uh, mentioned briefly is it's about understanding your people, knowing what their beliefs are, because if you have some kind of understanding of a person's beliefs, you are able to relate to them and connect with them on a level that would be more meaningful. So for example, if your belief is completely opposite of of another person that you're communicating with or working with, how well are you going to connect? Even something like communications could be a hit or miss because you have completely different beliefs, completely different assumptions. And now you put that in the context of an organization, which is made up of multiple individuals. And for most, it's many individuals, right? So you have to have some idea of what kind of beliefs and structures are driving those individuals in order to be able to work together, be productive, and keep it all together successfully. Dr. Ariana, I'd like to go to you because I get a feeling that <laughs> you're dealing with this a lot with, you know, trying to get people on the same page to understand them better when you're working with organizations. So are you finding that these mental models are something that, you know, you've seen success with? Definitely. I think so. I usually see it kind of in the opposite the way that we're talking about, where it's not necessarily the mental model of the individual, but rather the mental model of the group or the organization. So I think at an organization level, I know Linda Ann is equally as much a fan of values as I am, but I think aligning with mission and values, that's a big way that you create a mental model around what are we doing here? What do we care about? What are we going towards? How does work get done? And then on a team level, we need mental models for whatever we're trying to get done, essentially. So a mental model in the best organizations can be a visual framework that allows you to understand what the objectives are, what you're aligning around, what your team agreements are, anything that helps to conceptualize and write down what it is that you need to align around. Well, Linda Ann, let's go to you and um, hear some of your thoughts. Well, the first thing that occurred to me when I started looking at this and, and thinking about it is how inextricably this can be uh, mental models can be associated with culture and be actually the foundation and structure for the culture of the organization. And but what a also what an incredible tool it can be for leaders to help bring people of differing types of thought together and to build that respect between people and helping people to understand. And so again, it depends on the kind of culture, if you have a learning culture that you want to build and the respect that you have within your culture. But I think that that working with mental models has a very strong tie to the culture created within the organization. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. You know, just to 
to speak to what Linda Ann just brought up, um, I think culture and mental models, definitely there's a connection there. But the other thing that Linda Ann brought up is the idea of bringing together people within an organization who may otherwise not necessarily share the same ideas or beliefs, but bringing them together under that umbrella of the mental models of the organization and the culture of the organization. So again, so early on in our discussion, we are already identifying how potentially powerful this can be in in an organization's success. And, And Dr. Destiny, I can see how it doesn't really matter the size of the organization that if I'm a, you know running a Fortune 50 company and I've got employees and team members scattered all over the world, getting them in the right mindset will help to bring them together. But it's also just as good for the mom and pop operations that maybe only have a dozen employees. Boy, if we're one big happy family, um, <laughs> what a nice place to work. So you, you've convinced me, how do I get this going in my organization? That's a good question. I think that it's important to understand where we're kind of where we're going with the conversation. It's really creating a shared vision, uh, creating that alignment. We're kind of bringing it back to the culture. And I want to go back to the publication that I mentioned earlier with the five. uh, There's five concepts of learning organization, and maybe this can kind of give some um, insight as to how it can apply to all organizations, any size, you know, of any of any industry type of thing, personal mastery. Continuing to define a refined personal vision, developing patience and seeking objective reality. So that's the first concept. The second one is understanding of mental models or the deeply ingrained assumptions or generalizations that guide us. So once again, we all have generalizations, assumptions about things that guide our decisions, that guide our the way that we see things. Our brain, you know, there's a lot of brain science behind this. Even, you know, we automatically go to the easiest thought or, you know, those experiences that we've had. The third concept here, creating a shared vision or the practice of finding shared pictures of the future that foster commitment and alignment. So no matter what size your organization is, having a shared vision and alignment matters, right? Mom, pop, large, doesn't matter in between. And then team learning, which is driven by communication among members of a team that genuinely think through problems. And the last is a systems thinking, which is really integrating of all of those other four concepts that we've talked about. So once again, doesn't matter where you are in a process, how large or small you are, if you're going to scale or not, there is a lot of good that can come from getting people to understand one another, where they come from, what they think, how they think through processes, and then how to maybe, you know, lean on that and 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 use that and leverage that even. So just something to think about no matter the size. Uh, okay, so I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm putting a team together, but there's one fly in the ointment. There's, there's one person who doesn't want to be on the team. They're the young I, I'm an individual. I do things my own way. The job gets done. How do I deal with that guy? I think that's really what this is about today, right? Is understanding where they're coming from, right? Maybe asking more questions. Being cur- Curiosity is really an answer to a lot of the challenges we have is just being curious and asking questions. So as long as you're curious, I think if, if people have a chance to speak, uh, I think that's always a good place to start. I'm sure other people on this call have a lot more (laughs) suggestions as well. (laughs) I'm curious to hear what Linda Ann has to say. So Linda Ann, let's go to you. So this is the educator in me coming out. Um, So the first part of it, I'm thinking, wow, what a great opportunity to educate 
um, people about the different types of, of mental models and the approach to thinking. So if you if we have a problem to solve within an organization, right, and take a little bit of time to help people understand the different models and some of the ones that I found online were, you know, and I'm a big proponent of first principle thinking and second order thinking. Um, and then there's inversion, map territory, and Feynman's, te te Feynman's technique. But to educate them a little bit about what these techniques are. And I don't know if you all in high school had to uh, learn how to debate a, a concept that you were not in favor of and to take them to assign them or let them choose which technique they want to use and have them take that role in the problem solving process and have that be a way of not only helping them learn, but helping them to see other people's points of view and have it be a problem solving technique. I think that would be a lot of fun and very eye opening within an organization. Yeah, I fully agree. Laura, let's go to you. I want to say I uh, I kind of align with what Linda Ann was saying in terms of mental models being a connection with the organizational culture and a, a way to kind of frame and think through what does that culture look like on a behavioral level and what people are doing and how they're acting. And so, the, but the reason that I raised my hand was, Tom, when you mentioned about being an independent worker who doesn't want to work with a team or whatever, I've been that person. I've been in a work team and everyone thought I was, I was too independent and I wasn't a team player, but it's because I worked differently and the mental models and the culture of that team was that if you're in meetings, you're being productive. And I didn't require a meeting to get things done. I didn't need to meet with my coworkers to build the training. I can build the training on my own and then collaborate with them in a meeting later. And so it was a different framework and a different mental model of what are the expectations? What does work look like? What does productivity look like? And, and what are the expectations and communication? So um, I see this also from my work experience and with my spouse working now, and when you have work phones and this assumption that you are expected to reply at all hours of the day. And I, at the time, when I had a work phone, I was a contractor and I would have to clarify like, yes, I have a work phone, but I have designated hours that I, I work. And I, that does not mean that I am required or obligated to respond. Now, if I happen to look at my phone and I see, and you need me at 8am, like I will make it happen, but you can't message me after 5pm expecting me to respond. Um, but unfortunately, my spouse is active duty military. So his he has different rules, different models, right? I had the freedom to be able to make those, those boundaries. But I see that from my work experience, the, there's mental models that I think there's an expectation of what does work look like? How are you expected to behave? And what are those trends and that what's the culture of how things look? Um, and sometimes that's not always good models. And I think from a learning organization and a leadership perspective, recognizing those things and being able to call them out or adjust your expectations so that those under you understand a difference or can shift their models away from the more toxic behaviors. Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, I also raised my hand because of your question around what if you have one of those people who doesn't want to perform in the way that you want, kind of like Laura was talking to. And I think the purpose of a good workplace mental model is to include everyone and to allow for those differences. So hopefully, if the person is 
willing to do your, their job. If they're not willing to do their job, that's a whole different story. But if they're willing to do their job, then it's kind of like we were talking about, what's the conflict? Is it that you expect them to be in a million meetings, but they're more of an on their own processor and they need that space? I think that a key component of having a mental model is also bringing it up in conversation and team discussions at least once or twice a year at a minimum to say, not only do we stand for this, but let's talk about what it means, how we put it into action. Are there questions? Do we feel like there's ways that it rubs with our team or ways that it creates more cohesion? And then a lot of our conversation is also touched on, you know, the individuals and how they fit into a model of some sort. And I do think that's where things like personality testing, other workplace assessments that can be used for team understanding can be really helpful. Um, seeing, using those in a group setting to be like, oh, Laura, I don't know what your personality type is, but oh, Laura is more introverted and detail-oriented. So it's a high likelihood that she's going to be at her peak performance in a solo content creation setting. and then. Linda Ann is high in extroversion, and so she's going to help process Laura's training completion and give good feedback, and they're going to have a good collaborative session. So it's kind of using the uniqueness of the individual to then synergize with the team in a way that supports the workplace model, which is ideally just supporting team goals and objectives. Uh, Okay, I think I'm starting to get it now. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Well, I'm right in line with what Dr. Ariana had said in that, you know, when I heard Laura speak, I thought, well, the first thing is, is she may function as an introvert where she needs to process um, alone. And I can understand that when I'm in a, uh, a meeting, I can I can contribute when I'm familiar with content. Right. But if I'm processing new information, I need to go in my little cave and think about it and then to go take a shower and think about it some more and then drive to the grocery store and think about it some more. And then tomorrow I'll come back and we'll have a really good conversation. So, uh, but it's important to know how your employees process and and to, again, foster that respect between each other um, for where your strengths lie. And I think it's important as leaders to understand that it's a and we've had this discussion to, to to some extent that you know leadership isn't a one trick pony. It's about meeting each employee where they are and and building them and then taking them from there to the next level. And that's different for every single person, and the process is different for every single person. And so again, this has some connection to mental models is no matter where people are or where you're trying to get them, it's an individual process and you have to understand your employee's background, maybe how they've come to where they are today and um, really understand the their processing. Dr. Marth, let's go to you. So going back to Laura's comment made me think about how important it is to be open to learning because A mental model that is foreign to you today may be one that you want to embrace tomorrow if you're only open enough to learn about it. You you may not even know that this is an option, or you may not even know how effective this approach could be. So it's so important that we are open to understanding how others operate. And then from there, it's critical that both at an individual level 
in the organizational level, we are not stuck with the mental models that we have today. They may work today. They may have worked for 10 years, but sometimes it's time to change. And Laura brought up the idea of technology. We didn't always have the technology that tethered us to our work. Now we do. And what did we see as a result of this gift, if you will, everybody was in an electronic leash all of a sudden where you were expected. It was an unwritten rule, mind you, but you were expected to answer emails or answer texts or phones 24-7. That's ridiculous. But we don't have a mental model, or at least at first we didn't, that helped us to deal with that new reality. So we absolutely have to know that mental models are not written in stone. They cannot be written in stone. And while some of them may be more lasting than others, we have to be open to change and growth. Otherwise, we're dead in the water. Uh, Let me ask you, because there is a red flag that goes off in my head. And it is, (laughs) if I don't know what I'm doing, or sometimes if I do know what I'm doing and I like to manipulate people, um, I could really use this to really manipulate my employees. And it's like the cell phone. It's going to make your life so much more easy because now I can contact you 24-7. So is, is this something that I can try on my own or do I really need to seek the help of an IO? Well, I'm going to say that you need an IO. but it goes beyond that because you can have the best team of IOs working with you. But if you're deviant, Tom, and want to manipulate and take advantage, we can't perform miracles, right? We can't change who you are. So by your own admission, you were planning to uh, to manipulate people. But see what I mean? So there, there has to be a certain balance. And yes, IOs will be very helpful with this. But if a person has a plan that is not wholesome, let's say, well, there's that's another topic of conversation. I'm going to start getting some superhero capes for you IOs. Uh, Amanda, let's go to you. I was just thinking we've got our own little Machiavellian here. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I've just heard a number of things that keep coming up where as it relates to some of the other things that is kind of in that... I'm seeing, sorry, I'm, I'm having a really hard time thinking apparently at the moment because my five-year-old's home. Um, but when it comes to some of these mental models, I've heard quite a few comments where the need of that employee-centered approach balancing or aligning with business needs is really, really critical. And in order for folks to understand that, it's that first approach of, let me come back to it to see if I can gather my thoughts. Sure. Sounds good to me. Um, Imani, let's go to you. Hi. Um, I was about to say I second Amanda when she was trying to talk in the first place. But then she said she lost a point that I had somehow already got. But I, I will stand to be corrected if I'm wrong. So she said we need to align ourselves with the organizations in this process. And I would like to say somewhere, somewhere when I was studying social work, even in our way of how we handle people, the introverts and extroverts, we learned about something, you know, when what if someone is different? What if there's those individuals who want to justify the few individuals? And one thing we really uh, zeroed down with was radical, you know, 
the uh, introducing this radical theory. So, in as much as we need to operate in respect, it needs to be recipro- reciprocated both ends on the organization and an employee. At this point, we're not trying to be um, counselors, total counselors, because we need to understand we're working for organizations here. And I believe fitting into an organization culture, yes, I understand we do have introverts, we do have extroverts. And I think we had this conversation somewhere in the uh, in the pop-up network with Lee. We talked about personalities and we had different doctors who we had those who had done uh, psych D and stuff. And they talked about, regardless of how much someone is an introvert, there's that whole situationship, whereby that instinct of a situationship always will kick in when you're under certain circumstance, you will show up to that uh, to that challenge, regardless of how much you're an introvert. There's a way that they, you always show up to a challenge. And then also, it doesn't take away from you being an introvert. Let's say there's a situation that needs you to to be to go present and then you're an introvert you know to people person and stuff there's always a way that you know you show up to that and present to even your best of knowledge that even sometimes people may think you're not an introvert so i'll take an example so many of us don't like being on social media we don't even me sometimes when i'm tagged in, in this post i'm out here like sweating sometimes i'm like oh my gosh but sometimes you know you have to kind of like respond if you want to make presence in this kind of like platforms and stuff. So regardless of how much we are introverts, there is that whole instinct in us, a personality that comes out in us that will always be a, that calls on a situationship. And I believe if we're going to be working around uh, this mental, uh, the mental workshop uh, systems, we need to introduce the radical thing. We need to have the, we need to follow the policies. All of us need to follow the policies. Otherwise that different employee who defies is going to influence the other employees in a way. And then the whole thing, the whole organization will, will be diverting away from its culture. So I feel like we should just borrow from the radicalness, whereby we just have these policies that we all have to show up to this um, kind of um if we have a situation, if we have something we have to present in an organization. Yes, we're supposed to be having boundaries, but it's different. Every employee, introvert, extrovert, we need to understand ourselves as personalities, but then show up to a situation if it calls for it within an organization. So radicalness in this situation will be needed, regardless of how much we're trying to take care of employees and all. So um, that's what I wanted to say. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome, Amani. And it's it's, <laughs> it's nice to know we have a radical thinker there. Uh, Laura, I feel like I know you so much better now. Uh, let's go back to you. No, I was I totally agree with Amani, and I love her point about um, introversion and expert extroversion, but sometimes it depends on the culture, and I think it depends on that mental model. Um, so I'll, I'm going to throw out another example of my spouse. Um, my spouse is an introvert. Um, and so everyone during the COVID shutdown was like, oh, the introverts love being home and not being socialized. He didn't. He wanted to go back to the office. He wanted to edit, go back in the office, but like barring mask rules. Um, but uh, it, he knew how to function and operate in his job, in his role, in his his, his space and doing things in an office environment. And he didn't feel like they were as effective at doing the communication and the planning when they were dispersed. He felt like being in an office setting was more functional and more beneficial for them or doing a hybrid model, which is most of what they do now. So I um, 
I, I got excited as I was listening to Imani because I was like, yes, I've literally witnessed this where it may or may not matter. Um, so I do tend to fall introverted or extroverted. I usually fall on the line. And so um, I enjoy training facilitation and I get the same thing. People assume I'm extroverted because of certain ways I handle myself. And then there are times where I'm like, yes, but I'm ready to go to my office and close the door. <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate Amani's viewpoint because I live it. I see it and I live it. Thank you. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people on the panel who kind of know what that feels like. Um, Amanda, let's go back to you. Thank you. My thoughts have now been collected. Um, <laughs> um, so a lot of what I'm hearing keeps sounding like it keeps going back to um, like human-centered design. Um, while it's not necessarily a mental model, it is an approach to product process improvement, um, problem solving, and every mental model does have its own unique limitations um, and barriers. And it's not appropriate for every and any circumstances. But when it comes to that human-centered design of needing to balance both the individual in addition to the organization, that alignment of the individuals with the, what do you want to call it, with the business needs is a struggle for some folks. And trying to get some individuals to see the benefit of those are it can be a challenge <clears throat> in addition with like the mental model of, well, not quite a mental model, but um, the perspe- perception of introversion and extroversion, there's misperceptions uh, on both sides, just like there's misperceptions of mental models. So earlier at the beginning, there was indications of coming back to setting the groundwork work of clarity and expectations. So if someone does intend to grab not grab on to, but if an organization or team tends to lean towards the use of a particular mental model, that clarity of what surrounds that mental model is so critical and understanding where is its limitations in use and practice. Um, For instance, I train on personality, introversion, extroversion, the whole MBTI. I understand that there is a whole lot, yes, ambivert. um, There's a whole lot of um, disagreement in that community on the legitimacy or the use of it and the parameters. However, as a tool, it can help provide like that basic language, just like if individuals have or need to hit a reset button to go back to, hey, let's reset our expectations as a team and understand when we do and do not apply certain mental models so that it's not an apply all because there has been organizations that have used the MBTI for selection, unethical, illegal use, and then they've lost the right to being able to use that model from the vendor. So there's there is limitations and parameters and the need to reset those expectations somewhat regularly as it surrounds the use of any tool, including mental models. Yeah, you raised some really good points. And you know, one of them that just kind of popped in my head was, I don't know how many times I've done training with no idea why we were doing the training. Yeah, it doesn't seem, you know, it's like that's not a sacred secret. You need to share that with people. Uh, Jen, welcome to the Work Cookie stage. Go ahead. Hi, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I, something that kind of keeps floating around and then it kind of went on in the conversations a little bit over here um, about that energy like expenditure, right? And how we are re-energized or we're exhausted. And um, the ambiversion is something that is a recent 
thing that I've started to hear more about because it was always high functioning extra or high functioning introvert was what I was always told um, was, you know, you can like, you can be a presenter, you can do speaking, you can do those types of engagements, but like, you cannot do the peopling sessions afterwards. Like you can talk to a full crowd, but those one-on-one conversations, exhausting. Right. And so, but I really think that one of the biggest things about like adapting or changing mental models and team-based work is trust and psychological safety, especially for your introverts. Because if they have coworkers and kind of like how Laura had brought up with her spouse that, you know, it's like being alone because that person isn't draining. You can work on a team if you have a trust, right? Everybody is working in their strengths or, you know, there's just not a lot of the um, some of the the cultural elements of making sure that everyone is um, not having like subversive and social like conflict, right? That you're, when you're able to work, you're able to focus on the work and you're able to trust one another. That even if like, let's say we talk about um, having workplace flexibility, right? And uh, those things require trust. You're going to trust that somebody's just going to get the um, the product finished. It, you're not going to micromanage their time. And on team-based assignments, like somebody needs to make sure that things meet deadlines, right? But you don't micromanage people. And that's something that allows for psychological safety, allows for the trust to be able to accomplish the bigger goal. Where where do you think we are in the real world? Like, <laughs> what percentage of companies in the United States have embraced this and are doing really well? And what percentage of companies are going, what? <laughs> what What is your feeling, uh, Jen, out there with, with where we really are? I mean, I would say the whole reason why I've fallen in love with IO is because it's not prevalent enough, <laughs> right? Um, so I see some companies that are doing it really well. You see companies with tremendous turnover, um, or they have tremendous loss right now, right? We've got a lot of people who are losing their positions. And, um, I think that it affects the psychological safety of the remaining workforce, as well as people who are looking at these companies. And there are a handful of companies that are, you know, doing a really great job of trying to, uh, manage their situation and um, take care of people while focusing on on their business strategies. Um, so, I mean, there are companies that are doing it well. There's a handful, but <laughs> I would say that a large majority, but that could also be like how we think of business in the West versus how, you know, business gets done in other regions. This may be in a uniquely like situation for America right now in this conversation, right? That this may not be the same type of conversation that would be happening outside of the United States. Not to say that this is not their problem too, but yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you could change some of the parameters, but the dysfunction, dysfunction is always going to be there. <laughs> and, and, you know, once again, if you don't have an IO, you can buy or rent one. So make sure that you reach out. Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah. So when we're talking about mental models, I think even just the discussion can feel a little abstract. Like, what are we saying? What are we talking to? So I added a few graphics to the chat just to show like there can be a mental model for anything that we're dealing with. There could be a mental model for how the marketing department operates. There can be a mental model for how teams are going to be most effective. There can be a mental model for conceptualizing our values and how we fit into them. So I think that's important um, to consider when trying to be practical about leveraging mental models in the workplace, because essentially what we're trying to do with a mental model 
is categorize buckets of information into keywords and then discussing how it's going to help effectiveness. So tips for organizations that I would say is write down and create a graphic. Graphics, I think just like pictures are worth a thousand words. I think graphics are like that and they stick, especially when you also talk about them. So a best practice from my line of work is if we do an ethical culture assessment at the end, we offer organizations to create an infographic that conceptualizes the information in a graphic way. So I think whenever you want to leverage a mental model, it can be very powerful. But if you don't communicate it well, and I think a graphic's a great aid, it can kind of just add confusion. Well, you you raise an interesting issue because you've kind of touched on as well, you know, if we're going to go in and do training, it's got to be entertaining. <laughs> like you've got, if you bore your audience when you're doing training, there is no training. Things don't sink in. So do you think we also need to pick up our skills as trainers? When it relates to mental models? Well, just to any training, then, that if I'm going to come into an organization and talk about mental models, um, my first fear is that a lot of people will go, what, what, I don't know what this is, so I'm going to now start checking my cell phone for messages, where if we're not really making a connection or an impact with those people we're training, do you think we need to pick up our game as trainers? I mean, I think that if we are trainers, we're probably trying to pick up our game in most situations. But I think that mental models like the ones we're talking about are most often going to be most effective when used widely throughout the organization. So then we get back to that conversation we often have around training leaders to be effective communicators with their team. And I think when we see a gap, you know, there's a small amount of external trainers coming into organizations, but there's a lot of leaders leading their team and helping to communicate organizational information and values and objectives. And I think that that is an area where we've talked about before is a growth opportunity for the workplace. Very definitely. Maria, let's go to you. Thank you. Um, I agree with Amanda. She she said um, to the question um, that was posed earlier that nowhere near enough do we see this, but I agree that we, we promote up and we don't promote well. And that doesn't mean that the person that we're promoting isn't worthy of that promotion. They've clearly, you know, something has been seen in this individual that's been promoted. Um, but that individual being promoted into a new position also needs to be given though that background of what the expectations are. And if, if they are using mental models, which my guess is probably no, right? Um, because oftentimes, um, if you ask a manager who's promoting the person that's becoming a new supervisor, they may not understand that. Um, if you ask them what you know, what process do we use with our employees and how do, you know, how do we deal with them? Are you going to be able to do this? I think that question has to be posed before the promotion takes place. This is what we do. Are you able to do this? And if not, what do you think your barriers are going to be? And I think promoting that self-vulnerability in the long run gives you so much more value in that employee. And it also lets the employee know that you're considering them for not only a promotion, but you're considering them for long-term growth because you're there to offer them that long-term growth. And I think that's what's missing in this quick, I got to fill this seat. This is a great candidate and I know they're going to do well. Bye. See you later. 
you know, and then that poor person is, you know, swimming in, you know, in a pool where they have no idea where to get that one little resource that is probably going to make them the most successful supervisor, but they don't even know where to find it. You know, that in and of itself doesn't contribute to the person's self-esteem, to the person's self-confidence, regardless of how good they may be. It's a whole new world for them. Yeah, people can you people are promoted because they're doing a great job in their current position, but when we promote them into leadership, we kind of forget to train them to be leaders, which doesn't make any sense to me and just causes a lot of problems. Uh, Manny, let's go back to you. I just wanted to say that I think we're still getting back to what we had in the last session a little bit. And I'll just give this example. Um, Linda and, and the rest of us mentioned about holistic training in learning and development, a topic we had last time. And when one of you just said infographics, I said, okay, yes, infographics, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we gotta have other personalities maybe blending in with just reading materials. Others will blend in with just graphics. Others will blend in. So it, we're just getting back to just saying it has to be holistic to cater for all these personalities to just fall in line with these um, mental, mental models that we are talking about, all the mental models. So just in case I'm, I'm, I miss out on infographics and I'm more of, of reading, and then at the moment it's infographics, then the situational shift is going to come in. Then I'll have to take as an employee, I'll have to take my time to really, really put my energy into learning what is it that they're really talking about, regardless of how much it will be ta- me tapping out of my, you know, or my comfort zone as an introvert. So um, that's what I just wanted to say that we're just zeroing, zeroing down with um, being holistic in terms of whatever we'd be introducing in our organizations to cater for all these personalities. Thank you. You're welcome, Dr. Martha. Let's go to you. Maria brought up an interesting point about people being promoted, being moved to other positions and either being unaware or maybe being confused about mental models. I think that if you were to ask the manager on the street, so to speak, about what mental models are being used or are prevalent within their organization, you would get a lot of blank stares. But that does not mean that there are no mental models. That does not mean that that person does not have mental models which drive their behavior, their management style, their leadership style. They may simply not know that's what it is. They may simply be unfamiliar with the term. So rather than assuming that there's no mental model driving this train, I think it's safer to assume that there are mental models People aren't necessarily aware of what they are, and therefore they can essentially run amok because they're left to their own devices. So I think it's very important. It's so true, and we've touched upon this so many times on this uh, podcast alone, that people get promoted to leadership position, and it's like they're getting thrown into the deep end of a pool. and. They just walk away from them. Nobody is helping them. Nobody is assisting them. Nobody's giving them training. It is assumed for whatever reason that they have all the skills, all the knowledge, all the talent that they will ever need to be successful in this position. And to what you said, Tom, they were promoted because they were good at their 
previous position, right? The position where they were, they were a superstar, they did well, and now they got promoted and nobody stops to think or not enough times anyway, that, hey, what do they need? What does this person need now to be as successful in this new position? So mental models, that's just one more thing to consider because they're there. You may not know that's what they are. You may not know that's what they're called. You may not even have identified them, but they are driving behavior, leadership style, management style. So they're kind of a big deal. Yeah, they really are. When you, yeah, you, it's a great reminder that it's already happening. We just maybe want to point it in the right direction. Uh, Linda Ann, let's go to you. Well, this conversation has taken a turn to something near and dear to my heart, <clears throat> and that is the responsibilities of leadership. When you're put into a position of being asked to lead people, um, and it's really the difference between people and work, you know, if you take on, and this is the question I would always ask when I was hiring someone for a leadership position, if they were considering moving forward in that path, whatever that is, and that is the, the question is, do you want to be responsible for the professional success of the people you lead? Because as a leader, that's your responsibility. And the five things that I look at is, are you willing to look at and get the people the skills and the tools that they need to do their job, help them identify their goals, milestones, and progress of achievement, you know, monitor that progress, identify their career path within the organization and the future of their career within that organization, help them get the professional development that they need and encourage them to get it, and then make sure that they pursue mentorship somewhere. And I would always encourage people to have two mentors, one to have a technical mentor and one to have a career professional mentor because they're different. Isn't it true, though, that we're still living in the world where if I'm a leader, um, my responsibility is to make my team profitable and my leadership style is how big is my stick? I mean, that's still out there, is it not, Linda Ann? It's old and archaic. And it doesn't work in the the workforce that we're that is coming into the workplace. It doesn't work. It's not a model that they're familiar with, and it's not one they respond to. So, if if I'm an old dog, can I learn a new trick? Can I adjust my leadership style and come more in line with the way things are headed? I think it depends on what your mental model is, Tom. <laughs> Look at that, <laughs> <laughs> Amanda. Let's go to you. <laughs> I think some of that goes back to the mental models of management that were prior to the 1990s of command and control versus the new mental models that just were kind of now moving towards where it's in inspiration and empowerment. Um, because in certain sectors, um, command and control is still very alive and for a reason because it fits its intended culture with, uh, like, um, the military. It's highly command and control. However, there are sectors within military where that is not as um, prevalent. But when you look at the larger organization of the hierarchy and how, from an organizational standpoint, how they work, it is really a transactional <clears throat> versus when you're starting to look and move towards that more inspirational empowerment, even agencies and uh, corporations that have been command and control for a while and attempting to move them that dial slowly because again, again that's culture shift. It takes time. You cannot um, 
you were talking about sticks in that TED talk that I just posted. Um, Dan Pink talks about a sweeter carrot and um, sharper stick. It's those are not as prevalent and motivational as like autonomy and mastery are, um, which kind of falls in line with some of the PERMA stuff from um, Positive Psych. And if you haven't taken a look or seen it yet, the Surgeon General has put out an awesome uh, wellness model that falls directly in alignment with some of the stuff that we're talking about and moving from command and control to kind of that more that inspirational um, empowerment of coaching. Let me ask you this, because you know, the shift in the way that workers are treated has has changed enormously from you know, the start of the industrial revolution where you might be working six or seven days a week, probably 10 to 16 hours a day. Um, And it's a very different work world today. With this new generation of employee coming into the picture who are someday going to be leaders, if we train them now in things like this, where they're creating a much more positive attitude and atmosphere in the working environment, what type of change do you think we're going to see? You know, as you say, change takes time, but where could we possibly get in, say, 20 years? Um, you'll, you might see um, employer loyalty and organizational commitment come back um, because right now the longest most people are in a role are three to five years. And that's because they're looking for that sweeter carrot to pop, 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 pop around. Thank you, Stacy. Yep, that workplace wellness framework is it's freaking amazing. And it is based off of um, science. Um, there's so many science elements that come into that. It's it's awesome. Um, but um, you might find that retention is going to increase because you have created a culture where people actually want to stay. And they're not ch- chasing that dollar. Because when you think about um, the motivation mo- what will get people motivated to stick around for a while is that they're living a earnable wage. Once you have that um, Maslow hierarchy of needs at the very bottom, security, physical um, safety met, and so that they know that they're not just going in for a paycheck, but they're willing to then provide more of their heart into their work, you're going to have also increased engagement, um, absenteeism goes down. It's There's a plethora of um, organizational um, outcomes that could be seen, but that's not going to happen instantaneously overnight. Like Linda Ann has said before, three to five years, plan on three to five years before you start seeing some sort of change. All right, Linda Ann, let's go back to you. Oh, no, you're okay. Okay, Maria, let's go to you. I, I really want to sit and talk with Amanda because she, she's got a great outlook on, on the way things happen. Um, but to your carrot stick um, comment, Tom, I think you have to always find those that you know will flourish in a change. Um, and that's where you you start, you know, instead of waving the carrot at the one who's not going to um, buy into it, you know, find those employees that really are going to, that always step up and make the difference, right? But then you treat them with respect and you're not, they're not going to become the changers. They're going to become catalysts. Right. You're going to help them and empower them to become catalysts in three years. They may leave, but you've helped them grow out. You're not helping them escape out, which is different, you know, and they're actually building other 
people up while they're doing this. So it's, you know, you don't oftentimes, you know, to Amanda's point, oftentimes making, you know, making a good living in a safe place is so much better than having to find a job two years later, you know, um, so much better because, you know, the, the, the amount of time it takes you to have to go through interviews, have to, the psychological piece that it, you know, wears on you when you're in your current job and, and trying to get out into a new job. But people aren't really looking, oftentimes looking for the reward if they know that the reward will come through their actions. And when you, when you're picking on those people, don't just pick up, pick them and say, this is what you're going to do. It should be a we, it shouldn't be a you, it should be a partnership. And when it's a partnership and everybody is doing it with the right intentions, you don't have to tell everybody it's with the right intentions. People are going to see it. You know, it's, it's the show people who you are and they'll believe you. I like that thinking. I like that mind model. Linda, let's go to you. To build on what Maria was saying, when very early in my career, I was taught that if you manage people properly or lead people properly, they will outgrow you. So as a leader, that is a normal expectation to have, that if you are constantly helping your team grow, some of them will outgrow you. And that is because there isn't a place for everyone in the organization to move up right? There's just not that much turnover, usually, hopefully. Um, <laughs> but if you are doing your job properly, there's two, two things. If you're doing your job properly as a leader, people will outgrow you. And the other thing to notice is if you're doing your job as a leader well, you should be able to walk away and watch it run. But, but, but then they don't need me. <laughs> no, but you that's right. You have help them grow to the point that they don't need you. And now you get to go on and do the, the, as Leo says, you know, you can move on and do those bigger, better, greater things to help everybody again, move up and move out, you know, to the next level. Dr. Ariana. Yeah. Linda Ann basically just said it, but I think that is a big fear that people have. It's like, oh, they're going to outgrow me, but we're all just where we're at at a time. And hopefully we are still evolving as people, as leaders. So I like to think of it as a leadership ladder or pipeline where you're preparing the person underneath you, but you're getting even better at your job by doing it well for them. And then the person above you is going to notice that and want to promote you. And hopefully at that time, they're ready to get promoted. So it's like, we're all trying to help each other elevate. And I think that's a great mentality to have. Well, Dr. Destiny, um, our time is coming to an end. Um, How have we done on this? I mean, awesome. <laughs> no, there. I love the broad perspective that everyone brings to the conversation, especially today. I mean, we talked everything from culture to leadership to sharing, you know, all kinds of infographics and worksheets and mental models ourselves and personal experiences. And I really like that and giving those really solid, tangible type of uh, examples during the conversation was helpful. So I think it went well. <laughs> and, and Linda, and let's let's not forget that you have the Leadership Summit coming up. Uh, do you want to just give us a quick highlight of uh, what's going to be happening on February 22nd? I would love to. <laughs> <laughs> so Deborah Colazzo and I are conducting um, a three-hour leadership workshop, and it is a workshop. It is not death by PowerPoint, and it is <laughs> you get a pre-workbook, a pre-summit workbook. 
that you to get you um, thinking through things so that the workshop is more productive. You, we will take you through the activities within the workbook. And by the end of the workshop, you should come away with a leadership plan for advancing your leadership skills moving forward. And the understanding that leadership is a practice, just like medicine is a practice, law is a practice. Leadership is a practice that you develop over time. And I am very excited to um, be doing that with Deborah. She's been amazing to work with. And I just want to make one point. We've talked about the leadership and advancement and all those kinds of things. Not everybody is wants to be a leader, right? Not everybody wants that responsibility for other people. And so within organizations, I throw out the idea that there should be dual advancement ladders, mm-hmm. one for management of projects or work and things like that, the other four leaders, and they should be equitable so that someone doesn't feel that they have to lead people when they don't want to or aren't good at it, but can still advance in the organization. So and I'm sure there'll be lots of more great leadership information you're going to be providing at that summit. Um, Dr. Destiny, next time we get together, what are we going to be talking about? You caught me off guard there, Tom, because well, I had... <laughs> I, I have the title in front something of me. Something about culture, something about culture, I do believe. Uh, but what I wanted to say was that there was another... I, I wanted to highlight that there was a peer mentorship meetup for our members on Fridays, because I think that it kind of takes everything back to why we're here and what we're discussing and why we come together Um, We do have, you know, that built in community and belonging into our members. And so that's something I wanted to highlight first. Uh, The next topic, uh, I'll have to give back to you, Tom. Uh, Follow the social media. (laughs) It'll tell you there. (laughs) You can check there, but I've got it in front of me. and It's very long title. It's prioritizing personal and professional growth through knowledge transfers and learning organizations. I did that in one breath. Um, so it sounds interesting. I'm sure we'll be, uh, Jeremy or Dr. Destiny, one of you will be leading us in that conversation and help me to understand what we'll be talking about. Uh, <laughs> but it always seems to go well. Uh, Linda Ann, I see you still have your hand up. Do you have something else to add? No, she doesn't. She's shaking and go away. So um, I guess I'll do that. Dr. Destiny, you want to wrap us up and count us out? Sure. Thanks, everyone. And three, two, one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com. <laughs>